Hey, welcome to the 153rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Adam Bricker and Andy Landon. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Emma. Today we've got David Person from IFC on. This is part two of our development series where we talk to development executives about how you can sell your TV show to them. It's a ton of awesome insight in terms of what it takes to get a comedy on IFC and also more realistically kind of just thinking about how a development person assesses and thinks about comedy in television. And we also kind of dive into the bigger question of career paths. As a filmmaker, is it helpful to start on the network side of things? Mm-hmm. And because David is also a filmmaker and a development exec. I think every development executive comes to a fork in the path and they kind of have to decide, am I going to be a creative or am I going to be a development executive? And then, you know, perhaps later on down the line, the paths then dovetail again. So we talk a little bit about that and what makes a good development person in the first place. I can't wait to talk to David all about quirky comedy on TV. But before we do that, Warren, it's been too long. What the heck have you been working on lately? Last episode, you were like, I've got so much good stuff to talk about. You know, I did my my multi-day, my four-day shoot did I already need to talk about this for the San Francisco and LA tourism so. board? You set it up. I think that you were traveling with a pair of personalities that aren't especially well-versed in hosting necessarily. That's not their main vocation. And you're traveling all over. There's a ton of different company moves. You're in San Francisco. You're in Los Angeles. It sounds like a whirlwind of an adventure. Yeah, we did 25 locations in four days. And we like wrapped early almost every single day, which is the crazy part. Well, you're just shooting natural light and you're kind of running and gunning. And yeah, it sounds to me like you were really fortunate in that your actors really synced in. That they yes. really kind of figured it out relatively quickly. The bummer of the show is that the fourth episode is so much better than the first episode mm, because sure. the chemistry just grows and grows. I mean, we are kind of editing it in order, chronological mm-hmm. order to our, our actual trip. And by the end, they're just like kind of bouncing off each other, you know, mm-hmm. dialogue wise and everything. In the beginning, it's a little more awkward. But um, what did you do to help foster such chemistry? Is it all you or is it all them? It's a combination for sure. The, the biggest problem was that the female talent, Tara, got into L.A. at midnight the night before we started mm-hmm. shooting. So we literally didn't even have time to eat dinner together. Mm-hmm. Like the first time they met was on set. And so... I had, I guess the thing I did, which I think any decent director would do, is I researched uh, our talent a lot. I watched all their videos on YouTube, looked through their Instagram, I read about them, looked at their Wikipedia, read commentary about them. And so I think when I I can approach them, not just as like a director that says like, stand here and say this line, but as like, hey, I think this thing of you that you do is really interesting. Like I saw you talk about it in this video, like maybe we can find a new angle on that. Uh, and I think that's helpful. And also, I mean, this is beyond obvious, but especially when it's not like a hard scripted show, like asking them what they think about, like coming armed with ideas, but also being open to them saying like, oh, but I don't really do this, but I would do this and, and just going along with it. So just being flexible. But really, it's kind of like when you're working with child actors, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times you have to cast really good adults to play off of them. And, mm-hmm. the, and the adult act when you have a scene with like a father and a son or something like the person playing the father is really doing more directing of the ch- the child than you are, right? Sure. And so I, and this, because we had this comedian that's like very comfortable being on camera and making jokes nonstop. And then this uh, travel blogger that's more comfortable writing and mm-hmm. photographing than like being on camera. He was really the gateway into like kind of loosening her up. And so. Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. But I started getting the cuts and it's like, 
you know, they want these episodes to be two to three minutes and they should be like seven to nine minutes. Mm -hmm. It's just like, there's just so much stuff. It's an order of magnitude off Mm -hmm. really. Like we shot enough material to do a 22 minute, like travel episode and they want it to be two minutes. And the problem is you have to start cutting out the charm and the heart and Mm -hmm. the mumbles, even on this podcast. Remember like our very first few episodes, like Mm -hmm. I would edit them and I would remove every single, um, and every single pause and every single everything. And you were like, it just doesn't sound natural. Like part of the charm of two of people talking. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we're working on the edits now. It's hard. They also have like an insane turnaround and I'm appreciate that they're involving me in the edits, but I, when you don't like music in an edit, it's like so hard to mm-hmm. give that note without saying like, okay, well I'm going to go spend two hours finding music. But in right. the meantime, I'm doing treatments on two other things. I have this like Disney job coming up. I'm pitching on, couple other commercials i just lost out on a commercial not because i did a bad job but because the client decided all of a sudden they don't mm-hmm. want to do that commercial so it's like all these things yeah are hard also totally unrelated to work but the way they set up like the classes at my daughter's school is they literally group kids by age mm-hmm. so my daughter is the oldest daughter in her, is the oldest kid in her class february 22nd is her birthday every single other birthday is within the next 4 weeks so <laughs> every weekend we have at least two birthday sure. parties to go yeah. to if not three and then it, it's, it's it's really time consuming so <laughs> yeah uh, there's so, and so only so much small talk that you can i mean you I guess you can talk about your kids to you know i mean i'm sure this tune is going to change in the future but i freaking love these birthday parties <laughs> Uh, well, so what uh, have you been working on lately? Um, yeah, kind of the same boat. Uh, I am pitching on a few things, lost out on a couple things. But the unique thing right now is that I shot a music video right before I went to Russia that's basically 100% green screen. And it's for a band called Potty Mouth. The video is coming out this week. It'll be out. Uh, Wait, wasn't it due like two days ago? No, it's due tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. Tomorrow. The final? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, guys, this has, this video has like 100 VFX shots. <laughs> it's exclusively VFX shots. Yeah. When I say it's 100% green screen, it is 100% green screen. Except for the 10% that you shot in the science lab. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so it's been an interesting mental exercise for me because, so Oren, you kind of helped me out with a couple shots and, uh, you know, we kind of use that as a template for me to go home and kind of like start working on the stuff myself. First of all, I had a real one-two punch of, really a three-part punch of like having kind of an older laptop that has never given me any problems with any sort of footage ever before, but mostly is really like a coffee shop laptop. It's really there for like... It's for writing screenplays. Writing screenplays, (laughs) exactly. Like if I can like get on the internet and write, it does 90% of what it's meant to do. Or you can even edit videos. Yeah, yeah. I can totally cut like 4K footage, no problem. We shot 6K. Um, <laughs> right. And so it's pretty brutal. Uh, and then on top of that, there's a lot of red giant magic bullet universe sort of stuff, which are all right. plugins that are plugins. already slow on HD. And when you're shooting 6K, it's like they're literally more and than 10 times slower. A little buggy. So like these exports are pretty gnarly. Oh, man. But what's interesting about it, besides all of that stuff, I've managed to kind of cludge my way through it and like do a bad job of file organization and this and that and whatever. Um, But that video is pretty fun. I'll show it to you after this. But it has made me realize when I wasn't kind of troubleshooting the myriad of technical issues, 
I had a really good time doing it. I like doing VFX every once in a while uh, when it's in my skill set and like creative. And I realized I have been saying I'd like to do VFX. What I really like to do is animation with digital tools is what it boils down to. And so, you know, all of your, all the shots that you touched are 300% more photoreal than anything that I... I do have a tendency to go for that, which is not always good when, you know, when you're trying to do something like graphic and poppy. Well, it made me realize that about myself because like you were adding atmosphere and you were matching the blacks were matching well and all this stuff and it, and not just that you had a your eye was tuned to it in a way that i was not even thinking about trying to pay attention to which i think is really fascinating and interesting and the sooner that i start decided to not try to replicate that to not worry about that stuff the more fun i had and i realized that it's that it was like i was laughing to myself at how stupid these shots were and it's because they are way closer to Monty Python than true photorealism. Right. And so and it was like a, a Marvel movie. Yeah, exactly. So it was an interesting thing to learn about myself. Unfortunately, one of the things I wanted to learn in uh, doing this video was to think more critically about how to make photorealistic shots, basically, like how to be a better VFX director. And I realized that that didn't happen at all. <laughs> well, I find in general, like in post-production the most enjoyable work is when the tools aren't slowing you down when you get to oh, be creative. Yeah. Oh my God. And so that's the, you know, like an editing, I don't know if you remember back in the final cut pro days, but like it used to be when you clicked like on your desktop to go to finder, or like find your different files that would, mm -hmm. and then go back into final cut and it would say like preparing video and mm -hmm. it would take like 10 seconds or something. And I would go bonkers, like just wait, like I can't sure. literally can't click away from this window without having to stop for 10 seconds, which is like eons in editing time. And so with VFX, like the more photo real you're going, the more feathered edges mm -hmm. and better keying and multiple layers and all mm -hmm. this stuff, like the slower you're going. And so it really does zap a lot of the creativity out of it. Yeah. The other thing, this is super geeky, but in editing, you can shoot 6K, 8K, whatever, and then you edit with proxies, right? The lower res mm -hmm. things. And then just when you're color correcting it, use the final Right. high-res stuff so you can see everything playing back in normal speed but in visual effects you're always working with the highest resolution thing especially exactly. when you're doing keys and, and things right. like that because you want the more data the better yeah, yeah. but it really i don't know i i honestly i'm doing working some vfx shots now in this movie and they were originally going to be 2k and now they've decided 4k and i like want to kill myself it's just everything takes so much longer my computer's like crashing five times a day i mean you yeah. saw oh we had that 6k footage and from your on my, you know, pretty beefy iMac, it was like not moving. Well, <laughs> yeah, I tried I, on a I, I probably had forty crashes one day. <laughs> yeah, it was just like it's depressing. Yeah, well, it's funny because I remember saying like, "Oh boy," thinking back romantically about render bars and like, "Oh man, it was so nice." <laughs> render times, you know, that now you know when it's time to go make a snack, you can go pee and stuff like that. Ugh. Multiple mornings, I would wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> set another render, and then go back to sleep just yeah. to make sure that things didn't crash. Because basically every moment, when a shot takes four hours to output, you've got to be rendering nonstop. Yep. Try doing 3D stuff. It's oh like God. takes 10 times as long. I, ju I actually just found this uh, tool. I bought it. It's called AE Suicide. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not for assistant editors. It's for After Effects. Uh -huh. Basically, if you're in the middle of working and you haven't saved for even 15 minutes or whenever the mm -hmm. last autosave was, and you've done all this like rotoscoping or whatever, 
Um, and then it just stops rep- responding. You just get the spinning rainbow of yeah. death. If you run this app, it basically force it. It like tells After Effects that something has gone wrong, which will make it. If you're lucky, save a backup copy and then wow. for like it quit, like to, like commit suicide. Mm-hmm. But at least it saves a copy. So AE suicide is a pretty cool Good thing that uh, I'm endorsing on the front end. Okay, awesome. We better get into this conversation. But before we do that. Folks, did you know we have a Patreon page? Patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It is a place where if you like the podcast, if every Thursday or Friday you open up your podcast app, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever, and you're like, hey, Spotify, ooh, there's a new just shoot it. I'll listen to that instead of a million other podcasts. If you're that type of listener and you really enjoy the show and you want to support the show and maybe help us put some live shows together, maybe make some swag. We are very seriously talking about some merch for Patreon subscribers. Most specifically, we were, t- we were flirting with the idea of a t-shirt, but I realized what's the thing that all directors need jobs hats because you're out in the sun all the time what if we give people jobs like you give us like two bucks a month and we'll give you a job oh man i'd love to yeah no but hats i just want it to be a cool hat because you know i wear i pretty much wear the same hat all the time and it's the one cool like trucker hat from this one company and i've tried to get more from them and they won't give them to me it just fits my head well i have a very small head (laughs) (laughs) i I hate to admit it but is that true yeah, my wife and I wear like the same hat size. <laughs> like relative to my body, it's it's kind of small. That's really funny. Well, let us know if you would like a hat. That's a sort of uh, freedom to kind of experiment with a show <laughs> that you were providing uh, with Patreon. Because now the money that uh, normally is coming out of our pockets and going into Jay's, not all of that is, the, is out of our pockets anymore. So we have a little bit of room to get creative and figure out other unique fun ways to help grow the show so thanks everyone patreon.com slash just shoot it pod and without any further ado let's talk to david person from ifc david person hello sir hello welcome so what do you do development yeah currently my day job is working for ifc tv in original programming and we are a small team so which is great feels very family what's small like five people like four people uh, doing all, people of, all in uh, all in original programming for IFC TV for so, current and and development. development yeah it's a unique uh, boutique type network which mm-hmm. is really great we're we've been working together some of us for over four years so we have a backhand mm-hmm. uh, way of talking uh, mm-hmm. we are only uh, four people in original programming so we do do everything it's development and current programming and how um, many shows do you have on air at any given time like the whole team usually at a time it's one show per quarter so we program in a year four to six shows so we are doing a very small select curated group of content mm-hmm. and do all four of you work on every show or each person mm-hmm. has their own show yeah it's 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 unique uh especially since uh we recently um experienced a restructure and mm-hmm. so our team has shifted sure. um and uh has been downsized um but we've always been just doing development and current programming all at one time i, I think there was another era where development and current programming were separate you know but luckily i have a great boss who uh comes from the producing side and writing side of the business uh as do i it's it, it can be a little bit 
uh, challenging to hand off a project when you've been sure. developing it and you brought it in and it's, it's, it's your it's baby. Some, it's yeah. your baby. You feel yeah. very much invested, just like the filmmakers or mm-hmm. the storytellers. And to then ha- hand it off to somebody else to run current programming, uh, it's challenging. So we we you know have a great leader who believes that we should be shepherding and also overseeing the shows once mm-hmm. they get greenlit. So cool. that's a really great thing about ifc i would would say because you know we we build these relationships with amazing people mm-hmm. and uh we want to maintain good relationships right. uh with our talent you know so and just in case our listeners didn't listen to our last episode with carrie where we went through this so current is shows that are on the air reading the scripts giving notes making sure they're going well kind of just what is current versus like yeah. development? It's kind of maybe easier if I explain development to mm-hmm. current because there is a flow, right? So right. it always starts with talent uh, coming up with an idea, uh, whether it's a kernel of an idea or a fully f- uh, developed script, which is great. Uh, we then get in and if we get the opportunity to buy a show because it feels right for the network and for our audience, uh, then we get to develop it and developing is, and again, for IFC specifically, uh, or, you know, where I work, it's a little different than most places where we actually, we don't shoot pilots. So we need a proof of concept to sell to our bosses who mm-hmm. then have to sell up. And wait, what's a proof of concept? Is it a video? <laughs> Uh, a proof of concept can be any type of ex- executable way to show this is what could the it be show like is. a graphic novel I well mean, uh, I, yeah i think in the publishing world that would be your like, sure. proof of concept <laughs> and then like your product um let me ask you actually about the proof of concept is that something that people are entering the conversation with or are you is ifc financing a proof of concept kind of as like almost like a baby pilot uh Proof of concept can be, I guess, before the pitching process, right? So mm-hmm. you're, as a creator, you're developing some kind of way to show somebody that, hey, mm-hmm. I want to see more or I want to buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, so sure. Uh, I mean, uh, honestly, for us, the best way into, I think, a pitch mm-hmm. as a proof of concept is a script. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, so on the other side, uh, for from our standpoint, we actually are going to develop all the scripts for the first season. Mm-hmm. That's going to be our proof of concept to hopefully get a green light for production mm-hmm. uh, or to actually bring a show from development and into the current programming right. uh, stage where it actually gets approval to be shot and then you go shoot your show so it can be aired. Mm-hmm. can't believe you guys only do one a quarter. So is it like a real kind I of know. tournament style? Kind of, It's like Sundance. I wish we were right? doing more. Um, I think we all do. Um, so you, you have know, like a like, like a roster or like a, a list of shows that you're excited about and it, you just kind of whittle them down and down and down until you get to one? You know, I think it depends every time we, we have mm-hmm. to approach a show. Like yeah. every, it's and kind of even a big picture of, question, right? Yeah, it is a bigger picture question because even going back to the proof of concept, you know, for us to buy a show, we sometimes like, yeah, it's great if you've shot something, honestly. It can help you. It could also hurt you. Mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, proof of concepts that, tonally or 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 even aesthetically kind of throw us off in terms Mm -hmm. of if that's the direction they want to go we don't want to change their their vision of it Mm -hmm. but it might not be right for us right right um whereas if we can kind of get a little bit earlier in on the uh, on the process Mm -hmm. like with that script again like if we can get you know excited about a script and a story and the tone in that script and we can kind of see it you know 
on our air, then we can get behind that and help just guide it so that we can actually get it on air. Sure. And then eventually that is going to be the writing process. So then it goes to your question, you know, sometimes a show just develops in a different way that we were hoping otherwise, you know, and usually honestly are because we only program so many shows on our air, we have not many chances uh, at bat, so to speak. So we can't throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Um, So we really go after shows that we really can get excited about and like actually envision seeing on air. And that, you know, again, it's the script that at the end of the day, that's the executable document. And then that, you know, form of proof of concept script mm-hmm. uh, is going to be what we use to go sell the show so we can actually make it right so you're so you are literally saying that the pilot script is the proof of concept pilot script to get yourself Greenlight. in the door and mm-hmm. to pitch your show that's your best proof of concept and a way for us to green light the show into development into the development process then from there we would actually work together to write the rest of the series right so ra- rather than traditionally oftentimes people will come in they'll pitch something and then go into writing the the pilot so the proof of proof because proof of concept can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people you just mean having something that you can read the pilot of is is it's is it's, the the execution of the idea rather it, it's not like you're coming in with a sizzle and a this and that you really just mean like have a fully formed idea and having that pilot script ready to go as a jumping off point makes it easier to buy the show in the first place absolutely i mean our process is you know we want to work smart mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and we also don't want to waste anybody's time right. and we're you know pretty busy i mean we, you know, in the year, it's about four to six shows. And we also just did the Independent Spirit Awards. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's not including the Independent Spirit Awards. And that comes Which, out of your team, too, original yep. programming? Yep. But you don't do features, right? You're not buying We don't. That's the festivals. IFC Films people who are awesome. Because that's a big... I mean, I feel like there was a time where, like, that was the biggest name you'd hear about acqu- acquiring things at festivals. Like, sure, sure. every festival, it's like, oh, IFC, IFC, IFC. So that must be a bigger team than yours, IFC Films. Uh, I I don't think so. Oh, really? They may have one or two more people than us. I don't know because I know they their team also got shifted around. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and they're based in New York. Oh, okay. I wish there was one person out here. Yeah, that'd be nice. They are probably going to need one eventually. Um, well, when they hire <laughs> you know, someone, right? introduce me, David. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, wait, you, so you'll love them. What I was going <laughs> to ask okay. is what percentage of movie of shows that get into the development stage go, go to production? That's a great question, too. So unlike some places that buy a ton of shows, and they may program more than us, but they're not going to pick up the same uh, in terms of... Uh, your odds are better, I think, mm-hmm. at, at a place at, like IFC. We're also not going to go down the process mm-hmm. very long if we don't think it has a chance. Right. So, in fact, going back to Oren's point earlier, like where in the process of development do things kind of fall off the wagon, so to speak? I mean, it really is bespoke per project. Mm-hmm. Like, it could be, again, like you know, script two and three, we kind of get a bigger picture of the Mm -hmm. writing and if it's working as a show and, you know, sometimes we have to, you know, part ways or sometimes they, their show, I've even seen like be too big for us. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have, you know, people, 
um, have amazing ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad when we have to say, you know, we just honestly in our uh, wheelhouse of indie style television making, (laughs) we are in a parameter that you really have to creatively play in Mm -hmm. that actually fits a budget. And so it's sad when we have to say goodbye to shows that, you know, we talk to them and we're like, Hey, um, we'd still like to do your show and we don't want to change your show, Mm -hmm. but you know, we may have to like, we may not be able to do it yet. (laughs) Um, but I, and then I've also seen things get really down the, you know, actually like into, you definitely know people like (laughs) you (laughs) or you know, people even from USC that we have, uh, put into development and and we were so close to a green light yeah you know but like it's interesting now being on this side of the business like i've definitely seen you know really smart executives and people who want to shepherd and that's like how i see my role Mm -hmm. um, and our role and it's interesting that the pitching process really starts obviously with the creator but then we have to pick up the uh-huh. ball or the baton, so to speak, sure. with this marathon. Right. So to you know, right. to belabor the metaphor, but like we're literally having to then be the cheerleader of the project to then sell to our bosses. Right. Who then have to sell to the to their greenlight committee? Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. who greenlights the shows yeah. across all the networks. Yeah, because it's a company, huge, it's a is, huge yeah. um, decision. It's a huge commitment. So I, that's really great. I want to dig in a little bit more on that. Right. So. I think we all have a decent understanding of like, okay, somebody comes in, they pitch, they blow David away. David loves the this idea, he loves like, the story. How long is this at the average pitch to you? How long is the what? The average pitch. How long do you block out on your calendar? So I always block out an hour. Uh-huh. And that includes like that that's, that's your time. Talk. That's yeah. your time. Yeah, yeah. Like so there's um, a little bit of chit chat, someone comes into yeah. the elevator, oh, have yeah, you been? Like, you you, you get, check in with mutual friends. Yeah, you, know. you should like we d- you know, we have a reception they do your they'll get you coffee mm-hmm. <laughs> you should go to the bathroom right. you know you, you should gather right probably before that time right and, and you're then, you're kind of like skimming through the materials again real fast or like trying to remember 100 percent. you're like, like oh yeah well, oh for uh, sure well, because it's also up their imdb real fast that sort of stuff the, all that yeah. all that jazz and that's why like you know it, you really you want can to work uh, with a really good agent or manager or producer mm-hmm. who's like actually sharing information mm-hmm. with us in a smart way. David, David secret is you just look at their IMDb star meter. <laughs> <laughs> if it's under 10,000, they're good. Yep, there you go. um, and so then they sit down, they, they pitch for you, small talk for probably 10 minutes, right? And yeah. then they pitch for, there's no, there's no format yeah. <laughs> to a pitch. Like the greatest thing is if you have a script, it can be way more of a conversation mm-hmm. right, about like, something to so talk about. how do you envision the show? Mm-hmm. Right. You've like it's already gotten this. Yeah, if you yeah. get people in the room with your script, you have a far better chance of getting yeah, yeah. A, 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 a green, like a, a development deal. Yeah. You're interested it, because you I, could, you you've could already pass. proven that you can right and that your tone is at least somewhere close to the brand yeah if you didn't like the show you just wouldn't take the meeting have having said that people that we know very well like i'm sure i'm very happy hearing a pitch even just with like a log line and a basic maybe Mm -hmm. here's what the show is we take pitches like that too but you know those are 
pitches that we again we know the people right um and uh, we want right. to say hello right. and and so but so part of that though is that even so say you take a, a meeting you have a, a log line conversation you spark to something you still need to be empowered with a toolbox to take up to your box mm-hmm. to, to your boss i mean right and so and that's where the proof of concept that's comes where the proof in. of concept i mean uh, i mean we will commission a script absolutely mm-hmm. if it's not written and we hear the pitch and we want to do the show like and then that so happens you, when, a lot too so There's, you pay them wta yep. minimum or whatever <laughs> i mean are you Pretty like <laughs> like there but it's that's i mean yeah. yes um that's correct so you said that you like ask them how they envision the show i guess is there a difference between like writers and directors or like filmmakers or auteurs that are pitching to you like oh. is there ever like a writer that's pitching to you and they're not like they don't know like what the show looks like specifically but they you know they're good with tone but they're not i think like, aesthetic is very important to our network actually we we have to have some kind of idea what your visual voice is so to speak oh interesting even if you're not interested in directing it or do you only i mean usually there is one director so the and usually there's one person who creates the show and writes most of the script so our shows are very auteur like you know we i think especially with the interest in 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 like under serviced voices kind of shows or mm-hmm. stories about unseen heroes and the indie the indie kind of voice mm-hmm. is IFC TV like we are still torn from the cloth of IFC films which then did create IFC TV so that they can air their films you know on TV and you know a glossy show is just going to feel totally out of place on ifc right and you know even shows that are much more like ifc uh but have their own distinct look we know like that like we can sense i mean if you're anybody watching tv and there's so much to watch but like you know you can kind of get a vibe right Mm -hmm. it's and so we have to go by our vibe and it's very specific which Mm -hmm. kind of like for me i look i like a lot of different genres so I wish we could break a little bit out of the box sometimes, but at the same time, it makes my like our job a lot easier in terms of curating. And it's kind of nice to work for a place that has such a distinct voice brand. brand. Yeah. So we're also looking for those types of people to make those shows. Right. And and usually it's like okay what kind of characters do we get excited about? Who do we want to hang out with? Who are funny? Who are smart? Who are snarky? Who are, you know, like not saying the obvious, but something that we all kind of think about and something universal, and, uh, you know, so that not that it's a broad show because we're not the broad type of show destination. It's more about like, you know, like what Portlandia did, I think for sure. the network was so important that, right even terms of world, you know, mm-hmm. like the world is super specific. So mm-hmm. here you are in Portland. There's not many shows in Portland. So I think that mm-hmm. added a lot of value. Um, I guess I was curious if, do you ever hear a pitch that's just like an amazingly good pitch? It's not right for IFC, but you know, it's like perfect for AMC me. or something. <laughs> <laughs> for me, yeah. that yeah. I want to, yeah, of course. And do you ever... Refer we, someone to yeah, someone absolutely. else? absolutely. In fact, so I started at AMC at the company. 
Oh, and cool. I am friends with. Wait, when you say at the company, does that mean so, AMC and IFC are owned by the same company? Yes. Viacom? Great question. No. You know, Paramount. So <laughs> what is it? what is that? Disney. Let's do a family. round of where. What, what is the family called? It's like AMC Networks, right? It's AMC Networks. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It used to be Rainbow Media, but it's known as AMC Networks, and it's AMC, IFC, IFC Films, WeTV, Sundance, BBC America, Shutter, Sundance Now. Gotcha. What's interesting is we're actually having more meetings together uh, mm-hmm. as networks, uh, which is great. There's uh, much more collaboration going on, but I was I'm already friends with everybody mm-hmm. pretty much, and so there have been times where I'm like oh, this show is so good and I would love sure. to explore it and I would develop it. But usually the case is it's, it's too dramatic for us or not overtly comedic mm-hmm. enough for IFC. Like we have to be comedic first. And there's the, and then there's a whole conversation about the Kinsey scale of comedy versus drama and mm-hmm. everything in between is dramedy. And I think there's a lot of dramedy out there, which is great. Wait, is this the and same I Kinsey that did all the sex stuff? I'm he's inventing just, it myself. He's just saying there's a spectrum. Uh, uh, there's a spectrum. <laughs> Comedy a, is fluid, or and it's oh, twenty. Sorry, it was a joke. <laughs> sorry, I'm zero on the Kinsey scale. No, no, no. You are zero in terms of in terms in of the getting center. that joke. So you're all over the place. I love it. <laughs> um, I guess. I guess the, why why I think that's relevant is because I think anyone listening to this would be like, oh, they only pretty much greenlight one show a quarter. Like my show has to be the best show. And if I'm pitching an amazing show and then Alexander Payne comes in with like a log line, then I lost the opportunity. But not knowing, at all. But not knowing that all. you That's have... That's so not the case, actually. I, I will okay. interrupt you. Yes. Because yeah. that is Tell a it. fallacy. So <laughs> attachments don't matter? No, they do. But like, it doesn't mean that Alexander Payne has to come in the room. I don't know if we could afford him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good point. He did hung, right? Was that... Mm. Uh, yeah, he d- he did do Hung, but that's an HBO show, right? Right. So, but, so speaking of people like who can a, afford him, basically, but tonally, yeah, exactly. tonally, he's probably not that far off from. It's a little bit more. It's a little bit more dramedy, yeah. I think oh. than comedy. Yeah. Like Brockmeyer <laughs> with Hank Azaria, uh, that's a great show. Uh, especially to point to the fact that it's a narrative grounded mm-hmm. story that's that does get dark and twisted. And we're not afraid to go there. But I think, you know, when you go to those spaces, it has to have some kind of buoy effect. And usually mm-hmm. that's the comedic point of view of your character. Like that's driving the show. Like mm-hmm. that that has to be funny. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Brockmire does a good job of, you know, having, yeah, there's some plot and we're seeing him struggle and mm-hmm. have to pick himself up, you know, after falling from grace. But like he always has something hilarious to say or it's the point of view or it is the circumstances. Right. Um, And unfortunately we have gotten scripts or pitches that they even say they'll pitch it as a soft comedy Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. like it's more drama with some comedic moments and that is great. And we don't want to change your show. Like you should go make that show, but you know, with the people who are going to support you creatively and we have to support, you know, shows that are comedic, they're overt comedy. So going back to the comedic Kinsey scale, like we have to really be all the way over to, you know, Mm -hmm. this, the scale where comedy is and we can have dramatic moments that kind of tip it, but you know, we can't be too, too plotty Mm -hmm. or, uh, 
you know, uh, dark all the time, you know, or right. about... It, it just has to be a comedy. It it's a pure a comedy. comedy. Yeah. So, uh, so talking about Brock Meyer, um, and I feel like Portlandia, there's, there is like a little bit of a history of kind of talent-driven shows at IFC, right? Um, how, like, when was, say, Hank Azaria... Did Hank Azaria come in with the pitch? Was that his show? It's, there's kind of always, like, a, a superstar sort of leading the charge on those yeah, shows. I is think that it's, accurate? It's like the chicken or the egg, what comes first kind of question, because um, I think the macro is there's just so much television out there that you have to do something to break out. Mm-hmm. And for a place that doesn't have a ton of money or opportunities to market a show, you have to do something to break out. So, you know, look, we've supported people who are not so big, but their show was great. And frankly, we loved the show and we wanted it to succeed. Yeah. We wanted to be a part of it. So there's also that, um, in terms of Brock Meyer, I mean, Hank was, that was his character Mm -hmm. that he developed when he was young and right. Then he did that short with Funny or Die, which was hilarious. Oh, that's right. I forgot. And there's a whole there's a whole trajectory, but it ended up getting made into a TV show with mm-hmm. us. But yes, he was definitely a part of the show. He was attached to it, but that was his that was his IP. Mm-hmm. And how common is that though, would you say? Right? Because like Portlandia, like Fred and Carrie were doing like I know them. Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein right. were doing Thunder Ant before that. And like, and it came with Broadway video and Lorne Michaels behind it. Right. And it's sure. like, it's sure. not, not little nobodies that are yeah. bringing the show for every one of those. How frequently do you see something where you're maybe attaching talent to it afterwards? You're like, Oh, I love this script. Let's go find our own Hank area. It's maybe like a half and half. Mm-hmm. cookie situation maybe 40 60 i don't know dude yeah, like yeah, that's a hard qu- <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. truth be fair told enough. like it it like we have moments where we will hear the same exact idea three times in one week and we're mm-hmm. like what is going on here? wait what's sure. the one this week you <laughs> <laughs> can't say <laughs> is that. it about uber drivers <laughs> yeah exactly funny oh Ubers. i mean you know we I, I think there was one week we heard a lot of gameplay like mm-hmm. uh like video game stuff you mean yeah like, like, like either like, the video game world or what, what is that like cosplay oh stuff? sure yeah yeah cosplay yeah yeah or like larping live action role yeah. playing which yeah. is I, I i see why somebody would want to make a show out of it it's, sure, it's colorful and very fun, very yeah. colorful but it was interesting that we heard the same idea like it's maybe two or man. three times yeah. yeah but that's the thing about like any kind of odds with development it's this we, look we're in the creative world like y- there's no way to predict something mm-hmm. uh that's why if we had you know a crystal ball i think we'd all be sure on a movie set right now it, well like, i think well, you're, also you're on movie sets all the time as well as you <laughs> i wish i i miss that yeah, that's why you, i say that you I'm get like, to go to your movie sets whenever no, it's though. true yeah you know yeah. they're pretty fun yeah we have amazing movie sets you get to show up late you don't have that's to show true. up at 5 a.m hey, but i you know what i was the first assistant director sure many yeah, yeah. projects Pay, and i was the dues. first and last person on every set yeah for a long time this was before you worked development not yeah i was a, i was a, i was a filmmaker for many years i was a feature producer i was a writer i was an editor i worked in animation i worked in narrative features documentaries i've produced documentaries i've produced live action well why do you end up here because i i wanted to get back into networking with like people who were doing things uh through the system instead of me being 
so entrenched in the uh, like indie world, mm-hmm. which is a great space to be. But you know, uh, like I, I, I need exhausting. It, it's very exhausting. The sustainability is is exhausting. Right? It's so exhausting. Yeah, and like you know, I uh, I actually wanted to learn business affairs mm-hmm. at a network in a studio and i had worked for seven years with an attorney and i never thought i would ever be in a law office Mm -hmm. let alone stay with you know someone whom i learned a lot from and you know in the entertainment space and so like uh i that actually brought me to amc because i worked for the business affairs uh department at the time and i was like i wanted to look at it like a master's program in right business like studio like Right, deal like, making like the stark program right yes and so this was my master's program mm-hmm. and then you know that was a great experience and then the opportunity to work creatively at ifc which felt much more like my sensibility yeah, to match. uh yeah. was uh, came up and you know there you go that was it it's so funny i feel like just recently like we were talking with jocelyn and don and you know i feel like there's a handful of people where um it's nice to be reminded that having a diverse background like Mm -hmm. doing different sort of work not just being in the trenches all the time um is still super beneficial you know like you're it informs your work creatively and so i think it's easy to be stuck in a day job Mm -hmm. and like not acknowledge how valuable that experience can be in ways that'll be surprising to you you know what i mean a hundred percent um so don't like worry. Don was telling us she yeah. used to work at a photo gallery and now like all this, you know, she like just fell in love with all these different photographers, their work. And it really inspired like the look of their feature greener grass for sure. And it's, you know, she didn't choose off. to be like an assistant at a photo gallery. Right. But yeah. She was just like, oh, I hate this job. I'm like focusing on, you know, right. UCB and like I'm wasting all my time and doing this. I'm putting words in her mouth, but like, I, and as a person who felt that way about other jobs I've had, you know, I think it's fascinating. Do you, um, in terms of your other coworkers or other development people that you know, how frequently are they coming from an artistic background or like where, where do you, cause I, you know, kind of all land there from different directions. Yeah. Everybody does come from totally different directions. There's people who come from, you know, going to school as a business minded mm-hmm. executive or just going into business and, you know, filmmakers who end up at the agencies so that they can get a job into the industry so that they can maybe meet a writer or a client who's going to take them on as their assistant or showrunner. Uh, I did not take that route. Um, I think there are other people yeah, who got a job in the studio system or the production company system right away and rose up the ladder from, mm-hmm. uh, being an assistant to a coordinator and up and up and up and then maybe moved over to the network or they started at the network. Like, sure, right. you know, there are people who did grow up at AMC or right. IFC. Um, and that's the world they know. You know, I, I will say like, you know, I think when we were in school, mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of, you know, the, there was a, at least my impression a view of executives as people who don't really get the creative process all the time. Yeah. And that I, is interesting that that's a th- like, Oh, studio notes keep ruining my right, show. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And well, because they're, they are thinking of selling tickets, right. And sure. selling marketing and getting people to watch a show in the same way that like, you know, everyone can complain that CNN gives Trump so much coverage, but the fact of the matter is that's why people selling. are watching CNN. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I think that they leave out stepping away from the, the CNN metaphor. You're leaving out the fact that like development is such a hard job that you have to love the art in order to do it in the first place. And also like they're coming from a sense of experience of like helping to tailor your show or your movie, not just to sell tickets, but to tighten and to appeal to an audience. And like most of the time, that's what you want, you know? So there's a, so I think sometimes people are like, oh, they're dumbing it down or they're underestimating an audience. I think that maybe used to be true, but now there's so much TV out there that I think most development executives we know are really working towards sharpening a voice, making it special, making it unique, making it noisy in a way that maybe has shifted in the last couple decades, but certainly most development people we know now are advocates, you know, going back to the fact that, so you're a filmmaker, you're a producer, you went to film school, uh, and you are now working in development. Like, is there ever a situation where someone with a job like yours pitches a show to yourself, <laughs> like to IFC? Like, yeah. is that not part of like the dream? Well, like, you, you made it to the inside. You you have to quit first. You quit, start a shingle, and then pitch to yourself. Correct. Yeah, in that happens that, all if, the time. In that instance, yes. yes. I mean, I am still writing, and I still want to pursue sure. my own stuff. Yeah, you're filling uh, the shoebox up. Yeah. And then you can quit and then sell a show to IFC. Exactly. But you also have all or, the answers as you know, to what you know. One of the buy. other million right. other sure. platforms yeah. out there. At least at IFC, you know exactly what buttons to push to sell a show. That's true. I don't know if I'm that like super hard mm-hmm. comedy writer type mm-hmm. person, though. I'm definitely more of a dark comedy, in which I think there's a possibility like for a dark comedy that I would write you know find its way on ifc but i i i don't know i don't know about that i feel like i'm definitely a good like thermometer for mm-hmm. ifc my sensibility like as an audience member is right on brand but in terms of writing i don't mm-hmm. know yeah which is an interesting thing to know about yourself i think that's why there's a, a certain shelf life to development people i think you either either end up a lifer where it's your passion and you just do it forever and you end up running the company or you tap out at a certain point mm-hmm. because all of a sudden you realize your network of talent and development side and knowing the inside of the company, you wait for the timing to be right and then you yeah. sell I mean, that's what you did, right? I mean, essentially, yeah, in a way. I, I, I landed more in your court in that like my sensibilities are similar to what Comedy Central was doing, but I wasn't doing exactly, and my reel was not perfect for Comedy Central. But certainly I had many peers who literally would quit and then sell the show. Like they were developing that stuff kind of on the side. I guess some of the college humor guys too did that, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, they're, I think, more in-house even. Like, I don't think they had to leave. Like, right. <laughs> just get well, to develop well, the I guess show there. It's funny because so before we, so the way we do this show is we interview our guest and then you're going to go home and then Matt and I will do an intro and sometimes we chat about, like what we liked about this conversation. One of the things I was going to talk to Matt about, which I'm just going to bring up right now is like, you look back at the people, you know, that we went to college with the people that have been in the film industry, the same number of years as us. And you look at like Carrie and you look at David and you're like, these people are working on like amazing, like sure. top level television. You know, you're working on Portlandia, you're working on um, whatever secret project Carrie didn't tell us she's working on. Right. But like big shows, um, you know, because you took this path that kind of led you to to the other side of 
the network, right? You're listening to pitches instead of giving pitches. And like, do you ever think, Matt, like, like we are coming from the production side of things pretty much, right? We're trying to make things, show people our work, get better gigs, like freelance our way up while we're pitching at the same time. Like, I guess just pathwise, if you look at this, if you look at the IMDb page of you versus me, you know, maybe I have a lot more directing credits, but people have heard of the stuff that you, your credits are on, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, what's the, what's the balance? And I guess it's interesting to hear uh, about this idea that like a lot of development people are working on these big shows and then leaving the network and re pitching things to the show. So then you have these big credits, um, but you also get to do both things. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a special person who, both flourishes as a development executive and then also flourishes as a writer, director, producer, and they're really always producing. That's the, that's the thing is that being a development person an exec means you're a producer and having your own shingle means you're a producer. And sometimes people can do all of those things and also have the good fortune of being at the exact company that matches their sensibilities and that is special for sure. That's like a, a you know, you're kind of winning the lottery. Um, I know having done it, gone down that road a little bit, I knew that I didn't have the ability to flourish as a development person that I'm, I was too controlling. Maybe is the, <laughs> the real word that I just, I had to like roll up my sleeves and like be the guy whose fingers are on the keyboard like on set every day calling the shots in a literal sense. And that like it would kill me to stand behind a monitor and not get in there. I mean, and yeah. it might not even be a control thing as much as like a, what you have more fun doing day to day, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I like figuring out how we're going to rig the light to this, you know, beam or whatever, mm-hmm. or how we're going to pull off this shot more than I like reading 20 scripts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, I would look at those directors and just be insanely jealous. But there's a big trade-off, you know, that you're not working on sure. the biggest shows. I haven't been to a dentist in a while. <laughs> and you're not yeah. getting health insurance. You know, all these things that David probably has. David probably takes for granted like many other persons. <laughs> David doesn't take it for granted, but he does enjoy a uh, corporate card every once in a while. <laughs> David, I forget That's you're on true. the show. And I think you, you want to say too. something. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> yes. In fact, we need to make that happen. <laughs> sure, <laughs> like at some point, David, between the uh, three of us. David is, I think, one of our first guests. This is episode 153. He might be the first guest to bring us snacks. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. One must always arrive with something. <laughs> um, I totally agree. Like, I mean, I just, I, I, I know you know, like where my job is really great and I am a part of some amazing projects and I don't take that for granted. Um, and your I think job it, is time consuming too, right? It's not like you sure. can just like go oh, home sure. and you have no worries. Oh, for sure. Well, uh, up until this year, <laughs> uh, I was concurrently working on network shows and crib shows. So all the mm-hmm. digital short form shows I was also working on. So in addition to being in meetings for the network and helping oversee mm-hmm. those shows, I was also mining talent, mm-hmm. bringing them in, 
hearing pitches and then also overseeing production on crip shows so that was even more when are crips the the comedy crib is on ifc.com and we got to produce some of the content on there for a few years which was it was like an incubator basically yeah yes oh can you tell us that and so well because and to go back to the proof of concept conversation we're going to bring it full circle since we don't shoot pilots this was an opportunity for us to shoot pilots mm-hmm. because kind of backdoor pilots basically yeah yeah i mean they're you know yeah the format would it would be something like three to five minutes mm-hmm. six episodes a series and then if you string that together that's about a half hour show mm-hmm. so you can get an idea of what they envision for a uh, a show if it works well if we get enough buzz then we would you know want to hear the pitch uh, mm-hmm. and we did get two of those shows greenlit into well i should say into put into development mm-hmm. i keep using this word greenlit into development it's really just put into development right, i should right. say but the budgets um, on the digital shows are much smaller than what you would have for a yeah, tv show yes and so that the was and it to... was significant which was great that a lot of people still wanted to make these shows sure. but you know it was really a window into a larger show and people knew that but man we made we made a great show um with janet varney that she just killed it like yeah. with even in our budget constraints like you know she called on a lot of favors mm-hmm. and they made it look amazing and we had a great director and writing team and producing team and they knocked it out of the park and so are you still doing the digital shows um at the moment not really because again with the restructuring now mm-hmm. it's that digital sector has kind of gone somewhere else and you know we uh we need we are tasked with staying on the network shows because we are now like a very tiny team mm-hmm. yeah you've got enough on your plate already yeah, yeah. there's a lot going on yeah well, yeah i mean at I the think- beginning of the year you know, we're open all year round for development. So uh, we don't have like a development cycle. Mm-hmm. It's kind right, of like, like no when we season. can get a green light, then we're like, okay, we're going to go make the show. <laughs> and you're going to go make it all at once like you're making a movie. Right. Cool. So you, you know, and that's why the development process is we write everything, at least most every script up front, mm-hmm. if not all. And then just and then, watch it. And then once, yeah. uh, if, if it gets the green light, then you go into heavy prep and then you shoot it all at once within a month. And it's like, yeah, you're cross-boarding just, it and yeah. you're just banging it out and you're not going to do pickups. You got to get everything in. And, just nail it. And that's another part of the, you know, the writing process and kind of like wrapping your brain around, like, is this producible? Mm-hmm. Like, are we going to kill ourselves right. if you can't get, you know, your episode in three days? Right. Three days. So yeah. It's, For it's, 22 it's, minutes or half hour? Mm-hmm. 22 minutes. It's a half hour show. With yeah. commercials, and do you do you hire one director for each series? Basically, usually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. cross boarding it's too hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like Matt Piedmont just directed, who directed Spoils of Babylon for mm-hmm. us. Which oh, cool! Is such a funny show. Yeah, yeah. So good and so stylized. He did. He just directed uh, a show that we just um, that's in post right now called Sherman Showcase. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very exciting. Because I think it's going to take, like, I have seen a new direction mm-hmm. in terms of, like, the fact that we get to play with music and dancing and breaking the form. And, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, you know, Matt directed that entire series. Cool. Um, yeah. Mo Marable has been doing Brockmeyer for mm-hmm. the last two, and Tim Kirkby did the first um, season. Um, and you guys so, did documentary now, too, right? We did. And you did Spoils of Babylon. So you pretty much, yeah. even though I mentioned this Alexander Payne thing. Documentary now is screening now or <laughs> airing now. Oh, yeah, that's right. 
I mean, it still helps if you're Lorne Michaels when you come bring it down to <laughs> IFC. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it, it again, it depends on really the idea. And if you don't have people attached to it, we will help you attach people sure. to it. We bought a show that was just great, you know. And, you know, we had to still cast it, um, you know, uh, and we we did. And it still got to see the air you know Mm -hmm. so to speak it still got to be on network and it did really well cool so i you know i think it's again like it always starts with character and the world and what's your show Mm -hmm. so speaking of just like how you define a show um since we have to kind of wrap this up i i love like quick tips do you have any can you give us three things you should not do in a pitch anything that alludes to oh you know anything for anything that fits your network. Cause you know, we've got a lot of other networks we're pitching. So we're just kind of being mm-hmm. agnostic to uh, this mm-hmm. specific question you're asking. Cause you know, we're keeping the door open for, I mean, I think IFC is such a specific kind of destination, right? Like, Taylor, make your pitches for the audience that it is can in. kind of only be an IFC show. basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're really the advocates for the people who then, you know, see a show on our air. So, you know, we're just as big of fans usually as anybody in the room. Like, you're in the room because we want to definitely meet you and hear your ideas. So, we're just as excited. So, I know people get nervous in pitches. I certainly would, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope that, like, you know, like, our energy in the room, like, calms people down so Mm -hmm. that they can just have a conversation. Right. So I would encourage people more than just like to look out for like, just be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and because like, this is a way for us to get an, an idea of how, like, how are we going to work together? Right. Cause at the right. end of the day, I mean, we've all made stuff. You want to be in business with people you trust and mm-hmm. that, you know, are going to yes, execute right. their, you know, work at the highest level possible, but you also want to get along with that person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what about visuals? Would you discourage? Uh, no, I like I like visuals a lot. Actually, I think visuals can either help people like me who have a hard time. Like mm-hmm. sometimes, like I have a short attention span, so sometimes I'm trying to pay attention when, mm-hmm. like you know, I, you have to understand we're people, so <laughs> we're coming from like going a hundred miles an hour usually, and then we we stop and then we hear a pitch. Mm-hmm. So like. It's good when you're, you know, introducing characters sometimes to have visuals so we can kind of, cause I'm a visual person too, and we are a visual medium and like we're specific to our aesthetic. So I think it is helpful. Um, I don't think you necessarily, again, have to shoot your sizzle, like a sizzle or a trailer or anything like that, but definitely like give us some kind of aesthetic mm-hmm. reference. Yeah. yeah. That helps. Yeah. And are you, does it bother you if it feels like the pitch is rehearsed? No, because if um, I, I think some people are even very nervous to the mm-hmm. point to where they're shaking with a piece of paper in their hand and they're not performing, mm-hmm. that does not matter either. If you if your pitch is clear and mm-hmm. we get the idea and it works for IFC and we get excited about it, we're going to take the pitch 
from a guy or a girl or, or a female writer who's shaking with their, her, you know, her, his or her paper over the person who's overly performing and trying to get our attention. And they're just not right for us. Like right. the performance may be amazing. By the way, we have had some amazing performances in a pitch, like mm-hmm. full on, like, you know, like singing, music like, and- like three people hired or like brought in to pitch, you know, a musical comedy where like we hear the music and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, did you buy that pitch? We didn't buy that one mm-hmm. in particular that I'm thinking of, but, <laughs> um, so there's you know. a band in the room, you're blown away and you're like, mm, pass. Well, it's <laughs> <laughs> for real though. Oh, it's so painful sometimes. <laughs> and you loved it, right? You... Yes. I mean, there's so many times where like, I will be so excited about something and, I, and it's just not going to work. Like, yeah, sure. you know, again, it kind of goes back to like that though, you know, we have our sandbox mm-hmm. to play in and, you know, it may be a certain size or, you know, with certain tools, but right. you got to, you know, you can build a lot of cool sandcastles with the sand that's in that box. That was way too poetic. No, I love it. Well, David, uh, this was perfect. Uh, I think we go out on the the sandcastle analogy. Yeah, um, that was a great joke. Let's uh, let's move into uh, unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. So we've talked about this show before. We've even had one of the producers on. But have you guys seen the third season of Crashing? Uh, not the third season. No. Is it good? I'm like really liking it. I'm only three episodes in, and the third episode was directed by Oren Brimmer, who whose claim Maybe to fame is having my <laughs> same first name, different Oren. Um, but. Yeah, it's like in the very first episode, he like meets this young up and coming comedian that's like never really performed anywhere. And he offers to bring him to New York to, you know, just watch how he does his thing. Pete, It's Pete Holmes as a comedian, you know, and he goes and basically this young comedian like outperforms him everywhere. Like he goes to this place where he's auditioning for a weekly spot at this comedy club and then this younger guy that he just happened to have with him like also gets an opportunity to audition and of course he lands it and Pete doesn't and this kid is you know he's gay and he's like ethnic and he's got all these things and he's interesting and he's young and like Pete Holmes is just this like real dopey like kind of average white guy you know and I think the season is a little bit about that about him trying to find like what's special about him Cause like the feedback he gets is like, I've seen like a billion guys like you. There's nothing interesting about you, you know? Um, and it, I don't know. I just, I, it, it's something, you know, that's like obviously in the zeitgeist and we talk about it a lot, but it, I thought it was like an interesting take on it. And it's just kind of done really sincere. Like he's not mad or anything about it. He's just like really trying to figure out who he is, you know, in this season. Um, and like a lot of it is about the evolution of comedy. There's this one guy in the third episode that's like kind of showing everyone the the ropes and t- showing them how to do comedy. And he's doing like a big set at this, uh, you know, little town and everyone is like offended by his comedy, you know, his sex jokes all of a sudden. And he's like, this, uh, this set used to kill, you know? And it, it's just kind of like about the evolution of like what we find acceptable in comedy and what we're interested in. I, I don't know. I'm just like really digging it. Uh, great. David, do you got anything? I'm uh, going to go see a really funny show. Have you ever heard of Fairy Tale Theater? No. With, by Michael Feldman? Uh-uh. It's here in LA and it's playing now. And a very, very funny 
and smart writer actor uh, Michael Feldman created the show and it, it's like one of those things to where in uh I heard about it and it didn't f- sound exactly right for us mm-hmm. um mostly because we do very grounded stuff and this is kind of heightened mm-hmm. and it's uh, really about fairy tales and but it's told from a, a an adult perspective mm-hmm. And they shot a pilot. So this was a, a for instance, where they did shoot a pilot uh-huh. or a presentation. And it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. It was so impressive. And it was exciting. And our entire team, like, loved it. And, you know, it's hard. sometimes it's hard to get your entire team to really like um, something, especially that's so out of the box for us. Mm-hmm. And so it was great to see uh, something that could have broken our rules just for the sake that it's it's good mm-hmm. it's really a great show um and uh so that's kind of a cool thing too like right. to think again it's like it's always about like the quality of the storytelling if it's funny and if it's just great like mm-hmm. if it should be seen and it should this this show needs to be seen by many people and so everybody you all should go see this show but so it's, it's really show? so this is a live show that he's still putting up and it goes through it's like vignettes and they're different stories different tales mm-hmm. and they're some of them are very out there mm-hmm. well, but kind of still with a fairy tale sort of sort of vibe to them yes cool yeah, yeah. so it's but it, I, I know it, it, it uh, on a surface LA? level, yeah. yep. It's um, on Pico. I don't remember the theater's name. Um, it's pretty close to Fox Studios, just west of there. Anyways. Um, so if you, you go to the show, if you look for David Person, pitch him your show. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, fairy tale theater. Sounds great. Um, mine is an article called uh, How to Not Feel Like a Failure in the Film Industry. A previous guest, Dean Peterson, shared it. And uh, I thought it was really great. And it's by... A filmmaker named Chris Osborne, um, he wrote a, a and shot a short called True Blue, and it said about him having a frank career self-assessment and envisioning a system that is independent and not indie. And so basically, it's kind of just a um, a think piece about the n- nature of how you perceive yourself as an independent filmmaker, and also the thing that's more interesting to me, frankly, is the archetype and the model that we think of as independent film and he talks about how this idea of a filmmaker you know a renegade filmmaker making a movie for no money and how you know it's on the backs of broke college students and like they're an auteur is a an idea that came out of Sundance a long time ago and we still kind of adhere to and how there's a different model out there where the people that make your film with you are responsible for a ton of micro decisions that are uh, that really affect the way that your film is and that it's a communal experience. And so you should think of it that way and not build up your own career um, just for yourself, but that you're, the community w- that you're making a film with is, is a true community. You should think of it that way. And we should really kind of break down the ideas of you know, our tourism, basically. And I thought it was really poignant, really interesting. And a lot, frankly, I've been thinking a lot about a lot of the points that it makes about how you can really make a film with people and not 
just kind of exploiting them basically so it's called uh, how to feel like a uh, how to not feel like a failure in the film industry uh by chris osborne we'll have links in the show notes it's great cool i will definitely read that it's really it's great one of your yeah. first endorsements in a while that i'm gonna <sighs> you should listen take. to all of them more they're all pretty good <laughs> cool uh, uh awesome well, well thanks david for coming on the show uh do you have a do you tweet or fun. instagram or anything yeah I instagram can, instagram what's your instagram u-s-c-i-n-e-m-a-n oh my that's God. u.s cinnamon yeah all put together <laughs> wow guess what i created that oh man also it's so funny because when we were in school usc was really hot on the sc mm-hmm. combination so like our campus guide was called a scampus and there was i feel like there were a lot of things where they would totally. just add an s in front of any word that started with a c um so u.s cinnamon u.s cinnamon u.s it's like usc cinema man put together <laughs> that's pretty great well thanks so much david uh you can follow the show on all social media at just shoot it pod uh, that's also the name of our website. You can follow me at Mr. Matt and Low on all social media. And I'm at Smitey Pileg on Twitter, but more importantly, I'm Oren Kaplan. O Kaplan. <laughs> I'm O Kaplan on Instagram. I don't even know my own name. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. It was produced by Madeline Rosewatt. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to right now is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Leave us an iTunes review if you get a chance. We would appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.